0: Welcome to the Product Science Podcast, where we're helping startup founders and product leaders build high growth products, teams and companies through real conversations with people who have tried it and aren't afraid to share lessons learned from their failures along the way. I'm your host, Holly Hester Riley, founder and CEO of H2R Product Science. on the product science podcast, I'm really excited to talk with Jocelyn Miller. Jocelyn helps professionals in product tech and design to create their dream careers. She uses her background as the leader at Amazon and Google to help her clients make substantial increases in compensation, increase their impact as leaders, and ultimately do this with work-life balance. Welcome, Jocelyn.
1: Thank you, Holly. Thanks for having me.
0: I'm so excited to talk with you today.
1: Yeah, same.
0: So I love to get started by hearing a bit about people's journeys into product. So why don't you tell me a little bit about your story?
1: Absolutely. Well, you know, it's interesting because I studied a lot of things in college and that included cognitive science because I was really interested in how people worked. But then I really loved the uh, zero and oneness of computer science and the like clarity with everything that was there. So I ended up doubling in both of those with a little pre-med along the way. But I always talk about that as uh, people and machines. And that got me to uh, interviewing with a bunch of tech companies early on I uh, had an internship in Seattle and it was funny because partly I didn't do anything on the west coast because I was east coast raised and my mom was like you can't go to the west coast they have earthquakes I don't know it was a whole thing and
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's so funny I was east coast raised and I also did not consider going to the west coast but it also was just because it was just very far
1: (laughs) yeah yeah I think that was uh what her campaign was against (laughs) was distance So I had this internship in Seattle, ended up loving it there. So talked with like Amazon, Microsoft, you know, Google, right? All the big, uh, all the big Mm -hmm. ones. Got an offer from Amazon, actually got a bunch of offers, but it was interesting because I had offers for like engineering and product. And at that point, I remember Microsoft was like, you like people too much. Like you you need to do product things or you're, you're going to like, want to talk to people more. And I was like, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. But I felt like, like I wanted to know more about the technology at that point in my career. So I was seeking an engineering offer at that point. And I remember talking to folks in Amazon and they were like, I was like, I don't know. I don't know that I can really code eight hours a day. And they laughed and they were, they were like, by the time you're here for three months, you'll wish you were coding more because there are so many meetings to decide what we're doing. But at any rate, I was uh, pretty convinced early on that it was just a matter of time before I went into product, but that I wanted more technical chops under my belt. So I got that and I made that transition at Amazon after maybe a year and a half and then went to Google as an engineer first because I was like, well, let me just see how they're doing engineering. And, uh, and then after a year, year and a half, switched back into product again. And yeah, and then just never turned back. Just kept doing wow. products.
0: Yeah. I love how early on you realized that. I feel like I don't hear that very often. People are usually like, well, I did this, this, and this. And then I realized I was really doing product. That's so fascinating that you came across it so quickly.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's so funny that you say that because at the time, I've, I, you know, clearly in my, 22, 23 year old self. who's like, I should be running this place. Right. Like, I don't know if you went through the highly hubristic phase that I definitely <laughs> went through, but I, I remember when you're like, Oh, it went so fast. or I'm like, at the time I felt like this is taking forever. Like this mm-hmm. transition took nine months. What, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I, in the relative scheme of things, that's true.
0: Yeah. That's so funny. Tell me more about starting with Amazon? Like what sort of things did you work on there?
1: So I worked a lot on personalization. So that's what really initially drew me to Amazon was the personalization team. I worked on it as an engineer and a product manager. And Mm -hmm. what I loved about all of that is we were using data to get people like exactly what they wanted as quickly as possible. And it was really powerful. I mean, it still is, but especially at that point, they were like the front runner in all of this. They already had some powerful algorithms. Um, You know, and then we could basically, uh, one thing I really loved about that work too, is there was a marrying between the UI and the data. So you really wanted to figure out how do I best display it? How do I best um, come up with the best algorithms for what we're showcasing and where? And we used that stuff all over the place. So we used it. To band-aid search, because at that point, search is pretty young days. So we did work on even uh like right now we take for granted that when you misspell something, it'll like auto-correct it and you know, and it's like a very seamless experience generally. But back then we were asking the questions of okay, well, if they're, if they mistype it, like, do we assume, like, first off, how do we figure out what the actual search query was supposed to be? Two, like, do we assume that and then show them results for that query? Do we just show them crap? Like, I mean, that was what was by default happening without these decisions Mm -hmm. or, you know, or do we like have a couple of states depending on how confident we are? So I really loved being at that intersection of, the like information and the data, as well as the user experience. That was a really fun place to play
0: in. Yeah, that sounds really fun. So can you set the time for us? Like, what was the time frame of you working there? 3
1: to 07 that we were doing that work. And actually Mm -hmm. it was funny because we actually also did um, some work on a very early AWS as well. So we created a web service for personalization, but at the time we decided not to go public with it Mm -hmm. (laughs) because it was deemed too much of a secret sauce and like, we didn't want to expose it. So then we used it internally, like a bunch of the ad system that's in Amazon is using that service. I think at one point they exposed it externally to like it's uh yeah it's wild times, wild rides. Okay, so what was it like to work on the product team at Amazon? Well I will say, you know, it's funny, when you say the product team at Amazon, I want to like really say it was the personalization team at Amazon. Like that's Mm -hmm. how that ran back there, which was very focused on the group as opposed to the function. And that's partly because we were set up as two pizza teams at that point. So you'd have like one technical product and program manager, regular manager, and like some engineers, sometimes embedded QA or UX sometimes shared. I mean, it was, it was super fun. And honestly though, it's funny because a lot of people, they'll come to me and they'll be like, Oh, what did you prefer? Amazon or Google or this one or that one. And it's always rooted in like them trying to understand what they should do for themselves. And I always stress, look, I loved my experience in Amazon, but it was a very unique time and place and like place in my life and career. So for me, uh, having a huge amount of responsibility at such a young age was exactly what I was after. And I learned a ton as a result. But like me, you know, with two kids later, I don't know that I would necessarily choose that at this moment. But it was um, it was really fabulous.
0: Yeah, that makes so much sense and resonates so much with my own, you know, decisions and experiences. So you went from Amazon to Google. So what did you do at Google? So I started on
1: a spectacular failure of a product, which was uh, Google health, which had all the ambition. And it was, uh, it was sort of like the opposite in certain ways. It was like wrong place, wrong time. <laughs> like it was, uh, cause we were trying to build a PHR, which is a personal health record. So really, uh, empowering people with their health, which is something that I still strongly believe in. And I feel like that was a nod back to the pre-med days that I had where I'm like, well, I want people to be healthy and happy and be able to live those long lives. And, you know, I know that we can use technology to facilitate that in a very powerful way. That particular incarnation of that product did not end up being the amazing splash that we had initially hoped. But that was, you know, that was okay as well, right? It was a great learning. And I ended up from there, I decided to go to the core. So I went to uh, be product in the ad space there and then into search.
0: So I'm curious, while you were working on Google Health, what were some of the things that were surprises along the way? (laughs)
1: <laughs> well uh yeah that's an awesome question so I think probably the biggest surprise was I think I, I it was about maybe a month into me having started and I remember Marissa sat us all down because she was like the uh, overseer of that area at that point point. and she basically sat everyone and down and was like why the f hasn't this thing launched and like what are you all doing and I'm like I've been here a month. I don't even know who these people are. I don't know what we're doing. You know, I was just like, I mean, it could have even been a couple of weeks. It was just, it was such a wild thing. So it's kind of like, you know, getting your ass handed to you and you're like, I don't even, I don't even know. I don't, I'm not even quite sure what we were building. I've just gone through the Nugler training and I don't quite know what you all are doing. So that was wild. And then I think shortly thereafter, I think a VP was either fired, let go, whatever. I mean, it was just a, it was a wild, Ride and mess and yeah, that was uh, that was certainly a surprise.
0: Yeah, that sounds like a surprise. So, how long had the team been working on it?
1: I think it may have been about a year and a half or two, something something in that range is what mm-hmm. it seemed like at the time. Yeah.
0: Were there any surprises that you found about what happened when it hit the customers' hands?
1: There were things that surprised certain people, but not me, because I felt that we hadn't really gone into who's the customer, what is that journey. So I feel like there were surprises that were the team and some of the other members of the team were surprised, but I was not especially surprised because earlier on I was indicating as I was getting to know what they had done up to that point and what the plans were, that it felt like it was a very engineering focused solution as opposed to working backwards from customer needs. And so I wasn't really shocked that it, it didn't like fly off like hotcakes. At that point, I recall uh, one of the concerns that I had highlighted early was that at that point, this predates EMR being mandated for for like the health providers. So there was a question of how much of people's data even was going to be accessible easily within this tool. And I remember I pursued with one of our PMs, because remember I'm an engineer at that point, I pursued with one of the PMs trying out some services to get your data converted into EMR format so that you could see it. And I remember my doctor like f- had to fax first off, but like faxed over like an inch and a half of papers or something, right? All of this like data that I had collated into one spot and like three records from all of that got translated into the EMR via the service. And I'm like, okay, this is ridiculous, right? This isn't working.
0: <laughs> Sounds like something that you could see would be frustrating. What did you guys do with that situation?
1: Well, so it was interesting. So the other interesting and somewhat surprising part of it, because again, since it wasn't user led or focused in that regard or customer focused, really, there were some outcomes that weren't predicted because they weren't really looked for. So the user segment that seemed to use this most were caretakers. So folks who had, it could be either an official caretaker role or this sort of the middle, like what we often call like that sandwich generation where they've got kids and parents and they're mostly trying to manage the health of the parents. And this was a way for them to track what was going on with the parents. So that was a segment that was then explored. And luckily there was more UX focus brought into it and like customer driven focus. Though, I mean, again, the thing didn't take over the world, but it had some interesting time supporting that segment.
0: Yeah. So did you do products for Google Health before you moved into the ads?
1: So it was funny. It was actually, ironically, despite the challenges, it was a very product-heavy org. (laughs) There were actually a number of product managers. I basically created a proposal for what they could do, but- was like okay, so I'm out. Right? I was like, here, here's, here's like, here's my like product. Two sons. Um, also, uh, sort of like, there's too many cooks in this kitchen already. I'm gonna go yeah. cook somewhere
0: else. Oh, that's really smart. So you were just like, I'm gonna tell you what I see here, and I'm gonna move on.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and that was just the right thing at that point. So, what was it like working on Google Ads? it was interesting. So that was as Google had bought DoubleClick. So I Mm -hmm. was working on DoubleClick and, and really trying to figure out like that was a fascinating situation. And in a sense, I think it was that experience that ended up teeing me up for doing corporate training and change management later because we had this like whole culture coming into Google and a whole set of technology. And it w- had been this market leader for display advertising. And yet like the tech was ready to fall over, you know, it was like totally maxed out, needed to be brought into Google servers millions of dollars is going through the ad server. So it needs to continue to do so. So we often would talk about it as with the analogy of it's like you're changing the engine mid-flight and hope that everything goes really well.
0: Okay. I'm curious too, because I also worked in ad tech in my career. So what was the timeframe for that?
1: So great question. I think it would have been around 08, 09 to like, 10 or 11, somewhere in there.
0: Okay, yeah, so a couple years before I got into ad tech. I can imagine because I remember when I joined MediaMath, their technology was only two years old when I joined, and it was already being rewritten in a new tech stack. It needed that care because everything changed in ad tech so quickly.
1: Yeah. It's funny. I feel like that name sounds familiar. It, it's just funny. I remember there was this visual of like, Oh, the Loom escape. Yeah. It was like showcasing all the different like ad tech things. And cause there's like the publisher yeah. side, the advertiser side, the agency side. And it just had like this smattering of things. And it was like, even the categories of stuff, there were a lot of categories. And then within it, so many different players yeah. Even knowing what all those categories were, there was like
0: the demand side platform and the supply side platform. And of course, everything was an acronym, like the DSP and the SSP. It was just one of those industries.
1: Well, yeah. And at that point, there were so many words for like this sort of automated backfill or whatever. I mean, there's like the, mm-hmm. how do you do the automated targeting so that you're really utilizing and maximizing ad spend, ad buy, all of it. So yeah, it mm-hmm. was a Crazy time. And in a sense I'm sure is continued as such.
0: It's one of those things I always think is fascinating because there's so much technology involved in that split second before you load a page on the internet. And just figuring out which ads are gonna show up where and how they figure that out, it's mind boggling. Totally. So how long did you you did that for a couple of years?
1: Yeah. I think that was a couple of years and then search for a couple of years. I mean, I'm sure my math's a little bit off here. It feels yeah. like so long ago. And yeah. And then I went and became director of product at Zazzle doing custom e-commerce at that point. Oh, okay. Cool. What was it like being at Zazzle? Super fun. So it was funny that, uh one of the co-founders who was CPO at Zazzle, when I remember very viscerally when we had our first conversation, because we were so in alignment from like moment one. It was to this point where it's like, almost like, are you punking me? Or how do you know this? Or, you know, it was just, we were so, I mean, we were like finishing each other's sentences immediately. So that was just an amazing experience. And it was funny, we had enough overlap of like values, vision, way that we approach things that, you know, we knew if one of us was in a meeting or a room, like we're covered. And at the same time, we were different enough that we complimented each other on what we were bringing to the table it was really an awesome experience.
0: Yeah, that sounds like a dream.
1: Yeah, it really was amazing.
0: For any of our listeners who don't know what is Zazzle?
1: Yeah. So Zazzle is a custom goods e-commerce company. So basically where you want to put designs on anything, like that's one of the core products that they have where you can, you know, get all this sort of swag stuff. Now you can get more advanced custom goods. So custom leather purses, custom stuffed animals, like custom, you know, different kinds of things, which was an add-on that we did at that point where it wasn't just putting designs on things, but being able to configure even more.
0: I remember them being pretty early to the market of... Um... Well, I want just this one single design printed on this one t-shirt.
1: Yeah, because there was the whole like minimum order quantities. and Like you have to, you know, get a special silk screen and all kinds of stuff early, early.
0: That sounds really fun. And it must have been a big change for you since you'd come from these big companies. So how big was Zazzle when you joined?
1: I think it was around a hundred. And when Mm -hmm. I left, it was around maybe 300.
0: That's fun. I love being at companies at that stage of like the couple of hundreds.
1: And it was, and that was exactly what I was after at that point. Like I wanted to really have the product and like the revenue on the line sort of, right. I wanted to have that level of impact where what we did was like materially important to the business.
0: What was something that stood out to you about that experience after having come from the large enterprise?
1: Well, so it was funny because Amazon is definitely talked about as large enterprise now, but when I was there, it wasn't really that big. And certainly the way it ran, it also was not like in the sense that it already ran super entrepreneurial. Like it was kind of like, whatever you see, it's not that turf wars wouldn't happen in all the environments (laughs) at some level that I've been in, but One of the things I always find interesting is that in companies where you're really resource constrained, things look very different. So at like in Amazon, we never had enough resources and we were always trying to do bigger and better things. So there was this element of, okay, you see an opportunity, just go do it. You see a problem, just go fix it. Like I always joked when Google had all these trainings and like all of this process when I came in and I found that really fascinating, but I mentioned to uh, one of my former coworkers, I was like, I was like, but when we were at Amazon, I had a really good sense of how all of it worked. And I'm like, but I didn't attend any classes. Like, I don't know. So I'm like, how did I know how this all worked? And, uh, and she joked back, she's like, yeah, cause it was always breaking. So like you had to learn about all the different parts because, <laughs> you know, you're on this like conference call and it's like, all right, why is everything down? Like, let's figure out who it is. And, you know, I mean, and partly it was cause I did delve into all these different areas. Also at that point, most of the folks who were working there, you know, we weren't Seattle natives or anything. We were like new grads out of college you know, living like people or something or trying to, Mm -hmm. you know, where we were all independent and hung out a lot so you you just learned a lot about how all of that worked really easily but that's that more like entrepreneurial small company type environment where you're just in the thick of it Mm -hmm. so um so in a way when I went to Zazzle I felt like it was more a returning to that in a sense of returning to that place where you're playing board games together after dinner at work or whatever and you're like learning about each other's lives and you're in the meantime talking through the search algorithms and what you could you know do to change those up to make an even better outcome
0: you make it sound like a lot of fun (laughs) well I had a lot of fun
1: (laughs) yeah that's awesome
0: I guess that just makes me curious since I know you talk a lot about dream careers what role do you think fun should play in your career
1: funny because I was actually talking with a client about this because she was putting it into some of the work that we are doing. The word, like the word and concept of fun was coming up and she was like, oh, but it doesn't sound so professional. And I'm like, well, hold up here. Right. It's like, well, wait a minute. You know, who do y'all want to work with? Like, do you want to work with or lead or be, be under a leader who, or lead as someone who's like very stern and strict and, you know, everything's like a big deal or is screaming at everyone to like, Hey, why, Isn't this done? Or is freaking out every moment and saying, oh my God, oh my God, this guy is falling? Or, you know, do you want to have someone? This is where you need to get into balance, of course, but have someone where, hey, like, let's have a good time, let's enjoy ourselves. Because frankly, the level of creativity and innovation we want to be having in these companies and in these teams and in these careers. Frankly, I don't even think it can happen without fun, meaning the fluidity of innovation is only going to happen in a fun environment. It doesn't mean that there isn't also seriousness, but you know, all right, so this is going to sound so silly, but okay. For for those of you who aren't into it, it's cool, but I love Star Trek. TNG oh me too (laughs) yes
0: my cat is named Janeway because I love all the Star Treks I have a signed poster of the the next generation crew on my living room wall So you found the right person to talk to. Oh
1: my God. Love it. Nice. (laughs) Nice. Like I love it. So I I love it. Right. Just absolutely adore it. And at Amazon, like my boss and I would joke, we're like, Star Trek is like great management training. Like it's great management style, great management approach. But now one of the things, so when I love something, I really like look into all the details. And so one of the things I found fascinating was that the writers, especially for TNG, had an explicit approach that they were using where They said, look, this isn't about drama between characters like so many shows are. The drama is coming from the external. As in, life has enough challenges. Like there will be enough aliens that show up. There will be enough threats that show up. Things that didn't go your way that will show up. Nebulas, whatever. I don't know. Stuff that happens that you're going to have to figure it out and deal with. That instead of focusing on like melodrama between characters, just have that be the focus. And so that is what I always think about here, where it's like, let's not create a problem in between individuals that are just unnecessary and are taking away energy and distracting. Let's have that be fun and let, you know, let the market be the challenging thing. I mean, if COVID has taught us nothing, right? Like, I think it has taught us that we don't control everything. We can't predict everything. Everything doesn't always go the way that you were hoping or planning. And so let us rally together against this crazy situation that has shown up as opposed to arguing over things that are trivialities in comparison.
0: Absolutely. Very well said. I love it. So do you find that your clients are generally people who are looking for that fun and that bonding together against the external force?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. There's a variety of ways in which clients initially show up. So Mm -hmm. they might show up where they're like burnt out. They might show up where they're just really frustrated for whatever reason. Maybe they haven't been promoted fast enough or being recognized at the level that they think they should be or they've you know a lot of I mean I don't work exclusively with women but heavily with women having been a women leader myself and could be they just found out that they're being compensated tens of thousands of dollars less than some male counterpart in a comparable role and it's like hey what the heck's going on what do I need to be doing here so it could be anything from that to just I don't feel right I don't feel like I'm you know I'm questioning whether I've got my clear North star, whether I'm going in the right direction or I want to have a family. I want to have, so spend time with the family I have or start a family. And I don't feel set up to do that. So it could be any of those things. And sometimes it's like, Hey, I'm moving along. I'm cruising along, but I want to have even more of an edge. I want to have, you know, I want to know that I'm maximizing my impact, my value, my experience you know, here and in, in the world. So any of those things, but when you say like, are they already anticipating and asking for this combination? I think for many of them, when shown that that's an option, they want to do it. But often when they're showing up, there's just a lot of question of like, is that really possible? Like, can I really do that? I just wanted things to suck less right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, that totally makes sense. So tell me a little more about how you work with your clients. What does that journey look like once they start working with you?
1: So we have a few different ways that we work with folks. We have programs oriented towards how to create your dream job. And sometimes that's creating it, designing it. Sometimes it's finding it and finding that match. But we have like a whole journey and process that folks can go through. And it's funny because sometimes I've even come to learn over time that sometimes going through that process leads you back to where you are, but in a new way. Like I've had clients who literally have put in their notice saying, I'm out of here. It's toxic. I don't want to do this anymore. And used our program and our system to lead them back, but to a different place. So it would be, in this case, uh, a recent example where a client ended up meeting with a different manager who put together a position that actually was put together independently of her that exactly matched what we had come up with using our process for what would suit her best. And it was like this moment of, well, gosh, she's doing all, like he's saying exactly what I want. And not, not that he even knew, it was just like, it was coming together in a very natural and organic way. And that was really wild because actually she literally, she was going to be done on that Friday. They're having this conversation on a Wednesday. He's like, can I just keep you on payroll? Keep getting you benefits? and like can you and would you allow me the time to make you this offer if you know if i do that wow that's incredible Totally, and he convinced HR to like set that up, and so she like ended up with I think a month in between her old position and her new, just like getting paid, staying, whatever. And then he made the offer, and and you know we talked through it, and it was like, yeah, this makes sense, like this absolutely works. And it was funny, I asked her, I was like, if I had said to you when we had our first call that you would stay at this place, but you would be happy about it, I'm like, what would you have said? And she's like, I would have hung up the phone, <laughs> like I would. (laughs)
0: yeah that's awesome have you had situations where it was more of a struggle and people i imagine did have to leave and go to a new place to find what they wanted
1: yeah, though I don't. So I will say I don't necessarily think going to a new place has to be a struggle or a challenge, <laughs> meaning, you know, it's funny, I often talk about as you go through that journey, it's really about finding your next position. So one thing that I really loved from the book, The Alliance by Reed Hoffman, and I don't know if you've read it. And if you haven't, it's really, I really find it to be great. I'll have to check it out. Yeah, totally. So one of the things he talks about is having a tour of duty. So he has this notion of when you're setting up your next position, whether it's in your current place or another, having this notion of over the next 18 to 24 months, what is the main thing that each of you are after, both you as the job seeker, the leader and the company. And, um, and then having at the end of that period an evaluation, right? How did it go? Like, are we on track? What's the next tour of duty? What's the next thing in store? And so in a lot of ways, I, I recommend that approach really saying, you know, having a regular evaluation of, okay, great. Like, are we good? Are we on track? Is this feeling like the right thing? Or should we look at what, what it will be better suited now? Because I feel like even my own journey, in addition to my clients, has been a great example of I have loved every step of the way, but that doesn't mean I would make that same decision for where I am now today in this place in my life.
0: Yeah, that resonates really strongly with me right now because I've stumbled across an opportunity to work at a high growth startup that's in that stage where people are working crazy hours. And that's a thing that I did in my past, but it's not a thing I want to be doing right now. I've counseled other people that they should take that opportunity. But it's not always the right choice at this point in your life. And there are times when you say, "Okay." at one point this was good and now it's not.
1: I I love it. And along those lines, I mean, I think one of the big things that I work with my clients on is bringing about in increased level of intentionality, which I think is exactly what you're exhibiting with what you've said here, where it's like a true full-bodied understanding and appreciation for the value that this thing is providing and offering and knowing, look, you've already made that transformation. Like you've already grown in exactly that way. And so one of the big things I'm doing with folks is helping them get to that next level of leadership and impact in their life where they can have the integration of, like, I mean, I know we talk about work life harmony, balance, whatever, whatever verbiage you want to put around it. But at the end of the day, I'm a very strong believer in yes, you can have it all. Like, yes, you can find a way to have a kick-ass career, get paid really well and compensated really well for it. And still have that time and energy at the end of the day to be present with your loved ones and for yourself, like grab that spa day, which I'm a huge fan of.
0: (laughs) Yes, I love it.
1: So how do you help people do that? We go through that journey. So whether it's the catapult journey to get you to your dream job. And for some people, it's just like a leadership up-leveling. So we have programs to ignite impact in your leadership space and really understand all of the things. Because one of the things I always find interesting is as people become better individual contributors, like they're often either led to management positions, right? They'll get promoted into managing in some form or they're like really craving it. They're like, oh, why am I not a manager yet? And in either situation, there's this interesting thing where we've all heard the phrase or maybe even read the book, like what got you here isn't going to get you there. But like, damn, damn, is it true?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. So do you have any success stories that you want to share where you help somebody find the work-life harmony that they were looking for?
1: There are so many, really. So I'm trying to think of... Here, let's let's try this one out. So one person who comes to mind, she is a high-up leader today. She's had a huge amount of impact on the company, but she kind of felt like she was getting blocked at a certain level, that she wasn't getting promoted. And this happens a lot with my clients. At, a, at a, For a lot of clients, it's not even about the money or the status per se, But there's like this question of, am I making forward progress and am I fully appreciated and recognized for what I'm doing? And so we've been working together on really honing in her leadership skills and for her in particular, and it's always different as far as what specific thing I'm working on with a client. But for her, there was an element of really tuning into intuition and gut and trusting herself being a really big theme. And so that is something that we've spent a special time on. And as a result, she's now moved into a position where she like left me a message. Just like, oh my God, just wanted to say, feel like I'm exactly in my zone of genius. Right. And it's just like, this is exactly. And she had moved on to a new team as their leader. I think she was getting feedback within a week or so. Oh, cause this is the other thing we arranged for her to take a break for her to take a month off. Like, but it was sort of, sort of in between positions. But she had actually started this new role. And one of her counterparts, a weekend, when he hears that she's going to take this month-long sabbatical, he's like, Oh my god, what will we do? And she thought that was so funny, and so did I, because it's like you've been there a week, and now you're indispensable. That's amazing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome.
1: I love it. Well, what are are there any other sort of
0: lessons learned that you really like to share with your clients and listeners?
1: Some of the things that I've just personally learned over time, and a lot of them might, you know, be things that you may have heard before, but, but it's funny. I want to, I want to make one distinction here between what you like have heard versus what you know. And so I I feel like I've made what feels like every mistake. So like, so all of this comes from deep empathy and connection with like the many mistakes, like the insane amount of hubris, like I know everything and sort of what, you know, things I've learned are like when we come from that know-it-all place, it really impedes progress. Like it really impedes your ability to grow. And it's so funny. So many clients come to me and they're like, I want to grow. And it's like, okay, great. So we're gonna have to change some stuff. And it's like, I don't want to change anything. It's like, nope, that's not how that works. So growth fundamentally is super uncomfortable and it's totally worthwhile. And so one of the things I always say is if you think you know something, if you're like, oh yeah, yeah, I know it just because you've heard it. The question is, are you living it every day? So like, for example, one of the things that I've absolutely learned is the best investment you can make is in yourself and you should do it just ongoingly. Like the notion that learning stops at school. I mean, I I don't even, I've never subscribed to that. I've like constantly been in continuous learning and growing environments, getting coaching myself. And here's the thing, what I consistently see for myself, for others, for my clients is by virtue of getting that support. You take decades and turn them into days or months instead of making all of those mistakes yourself. Look, can you make the mistakes yourself and get there? And even with that, I want to say like, maybe like meaning, um, <laughs> meaning sometimes you just keep making mistakes. Like I think every one of us knows someone who like you've listened to for years or decades where like the problems and the challenges and the complaints have stayed the same for all of that time. And it's like, look, if you want, like I will often talk about, uh, for myself and on many of my clients is like. I want new problems. (laughs) Like I want the problem of, you know, how do I scale this team to its next level instead of how do I just manage my to-do list? I want the problem of how do I manage all the incoming funds? Because now we have to do more uh, tax planning because we're getting paid so much. And so it's like, how do we then state plan and the kids like that's what I want to help my clients get into instead of, you know, just running a hamster wheel and feeling like they're stuck. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Any particular advice that you like to give to people who are aspiring product leaders? I think for aspiring product leaders, there's a question of one, what is your next developmental edge? Like what is the next place that you need to truly invest in? But relatedly, as you answer that, two, do you really know that that's it? Meaning like, so one of the things that often comes up is people will come to me and they'll uh, present a problem, right? So they'll say, even companies, right? Like a company who I'm talking to and they're like, we're having trouble writing user stories and like story points and something. And you're like, okay, that's <laughs> like, so we're thinking if we just had better number estimates at the end of a scrum meeting, then all of our company problems go away. Probably not. When people are career switching, they're like, the thing is, I just need my updated resume. Once I have my updated resume, I'll be great. It's like, okay, so you think your career over the last five years that's stagnated has been stagnating because you don't have a document as a resume that looks perfect and amazing and is getting you there. So there's this question of One, what's the next level of development that you truly need? And two, are you sure? Like, is that actually it? That's really why I recommend getting expert coaching and really investing in that because like I've been there. I understand. I understand the inclination to say, well, this is the problem. And even for myself, I remember early on in Seattle, as an example, I remember uh, I was in this apartment and I was like having trouble organizing all my stuff. And I, and I remember I got this organizer woman in and I said to her, I was like, I was like, yeah, for some reason, I just, I can't quite figure out how to get a specific location for everything. Like I can put things back into a place that is supposed to live, but I'm having trouble like creating places for each of these things to slip. And she was like, yeah, cause there's too much stuff in the space. And I was like, Okay. All right. So
0: obvious to her. Yeah.
1: Because she's an expert in physical organization. And Mm -hmm. when she said that, you're like, oh cool. I will stop this fruitless task of Mm -hmm. trying to like with all the constraints that I have put into this, I will stop trying to, and that's what causes the hamster wheel experience. That's what causes Sisyphus pushing the rock up the mountain is you have a set of constraints that you don't even realize you have. And you just keep trying to work within them. And that's the whole, I keep replaying the same pattern again and again, expecting a different outcome. If you even are flirting with that, if you feel like you've been stagnating for a while, recognize this is a signal. If you're feeling frustrated, overwhelmed, annoyed by your current situation, or just like a lackadaisical, like you just feel like a bit of apathy, a bit of like, is this all there is? These are all indicators to say something needs to change, something needs to shift now and hear it for what it is and know that while it's awesome to have your hypothesis of what it is and think that it's a resume or if only we could estimate scrum points, understand that if you have been in this pattern for months or years, yeah, it's more than that. So get that expert guidance, get that coaching so that you don't burn another year to 10 on the thing that you're facing, but rather up-level yourself now so that you will be able to enjoy that time with the kids, so that you will be able to go to the spa, so that you will be able to travel the world again or do whatever it is you are into while also feeling like a superhero at work because everything that you're doing there is just kick butt, high impact, high powered, and you're having fun at while this, while you're doing it.
0: Awesome. I love that. All right. Well, we are about out of time. So how can people find you if they want to learn more about Jocelyn?
1: Absolutely. So they can go to www.jocelyn, J-O-C-E-L-Y-N, Miller.com
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much. It was such a pleasure to talk to you today, Jocelyn.
1: Thank you so much, Holly. This has been such a pleasure and I look forward to more conversations together.
0: Yeah, me too. The Product Science Podcast is brought to you by H2R Product Science. We teach startup founders and product leaders how to use the product science method to discover the strongest product opportunities and lay the foundations for high growth products, teams, and businesses. Learn more at h2rproductscience.com. Enjoying this episode? Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's episode. I also encourage you to visit us at productsciencepodcast.com to sign up for more information and resources from me and our guests. If you like the show, a rating and review would be greatly appreciated. Thank you.